A reading from the 17th chapter of the book of Exodus, beginning with verse 1. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So so Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. to John, beginning with the fifth verse. So Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked Him, and He would have given you living water. The woman said to Him, Sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well and with his sons and flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. 
The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When He comes, He will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am He, the one who is speaking to you. Just then His disciples came. They were astonished that He was speaking with a woman, but no one said, What do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I had ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not save four months more than the comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you. And see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life. So that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. That's a long text. Anybody get a leg cramp? There are a lot of things in this text that a preacher could latch onto and just thrive. Because most people hear their life in this woman in some way. 
Not only that, you could, you could take a deep dive into customs and explain why it is that she doesn't understand why Jesus is talking to her. But first, I want to tell you a joke that I heard 20-something years ago. That the more I have reflected on this thing, and I have never forgotten the first time I heard it, the more I have reflected on it, the more I have realized that it's out of touch with the brokenness that's existing in this text. And it was in a song that a comedian named Tim Wilson was singing on the John Boy and Billy show. I think that's right. Or it might have been on the CD I bought of his because I had heard him on the John Boy and Billy show. Not really completely sure. But I remember hearing him sing the words... If you've been married nine times, maybe it's you. <laughs> it, it, it's funny. I don't blame you for laughing. But can you imagine the brokenness of a person who's been married nine times and seen each marriage fail? Can you imagine that? I mean, it, it is funny and it makes us chuckle and it's, you know, I'm reminded of that horrible joke people tell about why is divorce expensive because it's worth it. And I've never experienced people who went through it and either, other, either, other, either of them felt on the immediate other side of it as if anything of worth had happened. Those jokes cheapen the reality of our brokenness. That's why she's at the well at noon. According to all of my sources, the tradition was that the women would show up to the well in the morning and in the evening, and there was a social gathering because the thing's 100 foot deep. And you send down one bucket at a time and fill up your jar. There was a social gathering around. There was a time of of reconciliation, of telling stories, of well-wishing, of God bless you's and how are you's, but she, she comes at noon by herself expecting no one to be in the midst of what she's going through. Almost automatically, people will mention, well, she must have Fallen into sin five times. Surely each one of these is her fault. She's been divorced five times. Maybe it's her. Because the last thing we want is to admit that our brokenness can be caused by other people that God might want us to reconcile with. True? Someone told me one time about a divorce. Actually, I've heard that more than once. Several people have said to me, it's like the other person died, but I know they're not dead. The level of brokenness that's on display in this text is heartbreaking. She has no one to come to the well with her. Presumably because she has been ostracized from the community. Because she's been married five times. 
Now, it was an easy thing for her husbands to have written her a note of divorce. All they had to do, according to Deuteronomy 24, is find some fault in her, a blemish or a defect, even a small thing, and write a note, you're no longer mine, hand it to her, dismiss her from the home. And the only caveat was that if she got married again, and then something happened to that husband, that the first husband couldn't remarry her. Because he had sent her away. But hear the callousness of that. He could look at her and see a defect in her and send her away. Anything. You might remember that when Jesus talked about divorce, he said, Moses allowed you to do that because your hearts are hard. Remember that? This woman. Is she a sinful person? Is she the person that caused all of this? Or is she a victim of sinful people? We don't really know. But we know that her brokenness is severe because she comes alone so that she won't be the victim of knowing glances. You ever had a knowing glance inflicted upon you? Ever heard people talking and knew they were talking about you because when you walked up to them, they got really quiet? Happens to preachers. You know her brokenness. You've experienced it. You've experienced being ostracized by someone because they stopped seeing you as a person and saw you as someone who met their needs and that alone. In my experience... When long-term friendships or long-term relationships or marriages break, it's because one or the other person stopped seeing the other person as a gift and began to see them only as someone who's supposed to meet their need. And if they don't meet that need, that's a defect in them and you send them away. Because our hearts are hard. And there's a chance that that has happened to her five times. No wonder she doesn't want to be around anyone else. That level of brokenness is hard to comprehend. It could also be that she committed adultery five times and they all got rid of her for good reason. Who knows? But the brokenness is real, whether it's a product of her own sin or someone else's sinful hard heart. The brokenness is the same. Someone has decided to treat her as if she was dead five times. And she comes to the well to drink, to get water all by herself. The verses before our reading say that when Jesus heard that the Pharisees were upset because his disciples were baptizing more people than John, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. And listen to this. John says, but he had to go through Samaria. That means that he's here on divine purpose. This is a divine appointment for the Christ to meet this woman in her brokenness because it's the Christ who makes all of our brokenness new and healed. 
It is the Christ who can heal the most sin-dead heart there is. Period. No caveats. The healing that Jesus offers us can overcome anything we might be experiencing or having done, even if five people had decided that we were as good as dead to them. He can heal our heart. Some people focus hard on Jesus sitting with a woman and how he wasn't supposed to do that, or even asking for a Samaritan to give him water from her own hand. He was never supposed to do that. The worst thing he could have done in his society was to take and drink water from the same cup she had drank from. But look what he does. He sits with her with compassion and speaks with her as if she's a human being who deserves being seen instead of thrown away. And in the midst of experiencing that, her, her reference to Him goes from Sir to Prophet to Messiah. From a derogatory use of the word Jew to the respectful use of the word Sir to the use of the word Prophet because He told her everything she had ever done. Not just that she had had five wives, but every other thing she had ever done. Even the things that may or may not have caused her to have been put away five times. He said to her all of the things that she had ever done and she saw, you are a prophet. But then his kindness convinces her that he is the Christ. Because he doesn't condemn her. Or ostracize her like everyone else had. He doesn't ask her to leave the well until he leaves. He doesn't browbeat her. He acknowledges the sin and the brokenness and offers her the water of life. A person who has dried up in herself because she's been told that she was as good as dead five times, he offers her a drink from the water of life. The gift of the Holy Spirit of God who loves her more than she could ever know and will never abandon or forsake her. And will well up in her to a fountain of life. He saw everything she had ever done. He told her everything she had ever done. And get this, people. He knows everything you and I have ever done also. Every hard-hearted word we've ever said. Every time we've treated another human being as if they didn't matter. Every time we've turned a blind eye to the need of someone near us. Every time we've looked at someone other than our spouse with lust in our heart. And every time we've laughed at a cruel joke, He knows. And yet, Has He not called you here today? Has He not brought you to this place to begin this week with an offering to you and to me of living water that will quench the barrenness of our hearts?
and well up in us to eternal life. And here Jesus isn't talking about heaven. He's talking about being full of life now that is beyond the reach of death. That she will never have to be treated as if she's dead again. Because she will know that she lives through the Holy Spirit who sheds the love of God into her heart. This encounter isn't just about her. It's about us as well. Jesus knows all of our brokenness. And still, He calls us to Himself to pour upon us the gift of love. What is the worst thing you've ever done? He knows it. That thing that you think that God could never forgive you for, He knows it. That thing that threatens to separate you from spouse, from friend, from co-workers, from church family, from all of those places that you hold dear, that thing that you would think prevents you from coming and settling in with the people of God, God says, I know it and I love you anyway. I loved you from the foundations of the world. And have given the Christ for you from the very beginning of all things. The Lamb stood as if slain, John the Revelator tells us. As a sign of this love that's on display at this well. The love of compassion and purity and hope for a different life. Even in this world. A life that is not covered by betrayal and death and dismay and despair and brokenness and revenge and vengeance and ugliness and anger, but is covered with colored and colored and colored with hope and love and joy and peace and even reconciliation with those that we have hurt and who have hurt us. Come and see, she said. A man who told me everything I had ever done. Clearly, she had not experienced condemnation for him or she would not have brought anyone to see him. Do you hear that? What she experienced in him was the offer of new life. To be set free from all of those things that forced her to come at noon when everyone else came at 6.30. He returned her to her community as his witness. And they received her. And they came to see. And this person, who had to come to the well alone, became an evangelist because of the kindness, the love, and the promises of Christ. She went to share what she had experienced in Him with others. So I ask you questions that I asked you last week. Has He not shown you who He is? 
Have you not experienced His compassion and His love for you in your own life and the very fact that He calls you here even though He knows the things that you have done in the secret of your own heart and mind? Still, has He not called you here to begin this week in His loving embrace, showered with His grace, and invited into His purpose? Has He not drawn you to the cross to show you how much He loves you, though He knows who and what you are? How will we respond as we stand here today and He offers us two living waters? The gift of life that cannot be quenched. The gift of life that cannot be destroyed. The gift of life that is beyond other people wishing that we were dead. It is here for you today, dear one, to claim as your own. The gift of life eternal is extended to you no matter what you have done. How will we respond? Will we desire to be nearer to the heart of God? Or will we turn away? I invite you to ponder that as we stand to sing. Near to the heart of God. Hymn number 472.